0: I invite you to stand with me as we read from Mark chapter 7, the verses that we will consider this morning. Starting in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the traditions of the elders Of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father and mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come every evil thought, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our opportunity this morning to gather as the body of Christ that is in Innsmouth River Baptist Church. We thank you, God, that we as a body can celebrate, that we as a body can mourn, that we as a body can encourage one another, we can reprove and rebuke one another, that you have placed us in unity together by the power of your gospel, and we are family would you encourage us through your word this morning? Would you you correct us? Would you help us to hold true to your gospel alone? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. On, uh, well, last night we hosted uh, some teenagers in our house. Our youth group was having an event where they go around to different houses and we've been doing this for a long time in youth ministry called progressive supper. Did you do that when you were growing up in church? We we did it last night with our students and our house is one of the houses, one of the stops along the way. And so we needed some things to be able to feed them. So on Friday, Christy and I went to Sam's club because, well, that's where Christy and I go shopping. We like buying things in bulk. And so there we go to Sam's and we shop at Sam's together, um, which is great when our kids are old. Now they don't have to go with us. So it's, you know, It's almost like a date to go into Sam's, you know, and, uh, and so we go to Sam's and we do the things that we do and we load everything in the car and we get, we get in the car and I'm about to drive away and my wife holds out, um, uh, hand cleaner, hand purifier, what's, you know what I'm talking about, hand sanitizer, that's what I'm looking for. And, uh, I just hold my hand out and I rub my hands together without even thinking, Right. And it wasn't until I smelled it because it smelled very much girly. Um, <laughs> that I was like, why do I have this stuff on my hands? I looked at her and I was like, why did, why did I do this? Why did, you, why did you put this on me? It's just a lot of people are sick right now. We got, and they are, I mean, people have the flu, there's cold going around, there's, you know, there's all this stuff. But over the last couple of years, it's just become ingrained in us. As like, we've taken the simple question that we used to ask children, you know, hey, did you wash your hands? And and we've like made a religion out of it. We, we have so become used to uh, cleaning our hands through all of this COVID stuff that, that it's almost just second nature to us now that you know you walk past one of those things that's on a wall and you put your hands on it. You don't even think about doing it, right? Jesus' day is not far from this. And, and I really find it interesting that we've come out now two and a half years or so uh, through through this uh, global pandemic and and where where we were so focused on cleaning your hands. I'm not even really sure. There's some doctors in the room maybe could tell us. I'm not even really sure how much it helped, to be honest with you, but we did it a lot. Dan's saying, yes, it helped some, right, Dan? Maybe at least a little bit. So it, right, but we became so focused on this and Jesus, this encounter that Jesus has with the Pharisees and the scribes is so similar to it. This entire uh, kind of confrontation that Jesus has with the Pharisees and the scribes who've come up from Jerusalem is over the question, why didn't you guys wash your hands? Why, why, why are you and your disciples eating with hands that are not clean? And it opens a, night, a, a conversation for Jesus to have, not only with the Pharisees and the scribes, but with all of the people and with his disciples about hands And hearts and really what defiles a person and if we can know what really defiles a person then we can also know what saves a person the main idea of today's sermon is that we find redemption through the gospel that changes hearts not through legalistic efforts we are going to see a juxtaposition this morning in this sermon between legalism which is not the gospel of jesus christ and the true gospel, where, in which God takes a heart of stone and makes it into a heart of flesh, redeeming the whole person. We begin with the false gospel of legalism. There's three things I want us to see about legalism this morning. The first is that legalism seeks to impose the traditions of man onto or over the truth of God Legalism seeks to impose the traditions of man onto or over the truth of God. I used both of those prepositions here. I went back and forth and honestly, I just said, I need to have them both here because really legalism works in two ways. Let's see it here in the text. Look with me in these first five verses. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. And in verse 3 and 4, Peter gives us the first of several parenthetical statements, I'm sorry, Mark gives us the first of several parenthetical uh, explanations here, because he's writing to Gentiles, likely in Rome, who would not have understood why this was a high debate. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, why do your disciples not wash according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? So I want to skip 6 and 7 for a minute. Just look at verse 8, because it's kind of the summation of Jesus' view of the Pharisees and the scribes. He says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. So here's what's happening. The primary adversaries of Jesus during his Galilean ministry were the Pharisees. And this is uh, Mark chapter seven is the culmination of Jesus's Galilean ministry in the gospel of Mark chapters eight and nine primarily focus to Jesus amongst Gentiles and Jesus amongst Samaritans And chapter 10 transitions towards Jesus going to Jerusalem. So this is kind of it for Jesus's Galilean ministry. And so we've got to have kind of this final culmination of conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. And as we've seen earlier, there's another group of people aligned with the Pharisees who live in Jerusalem known as the scribes. These were the keepers of the law and they come up to help. And so this is act three. This is the final battle of the Jesus Galilean ministry with the Pharisees. And here is what they accuse his followers of not washing their hands before they eat. But not simply like we would say, did you wash your hands before they eat? This was a serious matter for the Pharisees. And this is why Mark explains it to us in verses three and four, where he says they do not eat unless they wash their hands Properly holding the tradition of the elders that anytime they would come in from the marketplace, when they would come home from Sam's Club, they would wash their hands in a very specific way, but not because they were afraid of germs or they were afraid of being physically unclean, but that they were afraid of being ritualistically unclean, ceremonially unclean. This was the fear and not only of their hands, but Mark tells us that they would wash their serving dishes and utensils and their eating plates and even the seats that they sat on, that they would wash these things in a very specific way to make sure that they were not clean as we think clean, but ceremonially and ritualistically clean in the eyes of the Pharisees, that's what's happening here. And the Pharisees imposing the traditions of men, what was known as the oral tradition, imposing their own tradition on the people had declared many, many things unclean. Now some of these things are addressed in the Old Testament, but not to the level in which the Pharisees insisted that other people understand them. So when they've understood unclean, To touch anything like human excretion, any kind of human excretion, to touch a woman after she had recently given birth, to touch a dead body, to touch a dead animal, to even touch some bugs and insects, to touch a false idol, to touch certain groups of people like those with leprosy or Samaritans or even Gentiles would have made them unclean and they would have had to go through ritualistic cleansing. This sunk into me the first time that I went uh, with some folks from our church to Israel to tour because when you go to Israel, one of the things that you don't realize, or at least I didn't realize, was so prevalent was the places that they would build in their villages to go and cleanse themselves. And it becomes just readily observable when, you've been, when they've been pointed out to you that every Jewish village in Israel in the first century had numerous what were known as ritual baths. Many houses even had their own ritual bath and it wasn't a place that they would just take a bath. It was a place that they would go at the insistence of the Pharisees to cleanse themselves from all of the things that the oral tradition had said made one unclean. But again, this is the culmination of Jesus' Galilean ministry. Let's just look back and think over what Jesus has done. In chapter one, he touches a leper. In chapter two, he touches a tax collector. In chapter five, he touches a Gentile, a menstruating woman, and a dead girl. In the eyes of the Pharisees, Jesus' entire ministry is unclean. Everything that Jesus has done up until this point in Galilee is unclean. And so this is... Now, kind of the final showdown. And they say, why is it that your people are eating without cleaning their hands? And Jesus says, you have left the commandments of God to hold to the traditions of men. And to do so is legalism. To reject what God has said is true. And to insist on your own way of thinking, your own version of salvation that includes works is the simple definition of legalism. It was prevalent in Jesus's day as they twisted the teachings of the Old Testament and make no mistake, it is prevalent in our day as people twist the teachings of the New Testament. Let's look at two ways they do this. This is why I use two prepositional phrases. The first, that legalism seeks to impose the traditions of man onto the truth of God. To impose the traditions of man onto The truth of God is to say salvation comes through the gospel and some type of works. That we could look someone in the eyes and say Jesus died for you and for you to receive the salvation of Jesus means that you must believe in Jesus but you must also do these things. You must also go and do certain things. You must also give certain things. You must also act in a certain way. You must also dress in a certain way. You must also look a certain way. You must also talk a certain way. Anytime we say that salvation is the gospel and anything else, it is because we are imposing onto the truth of God our own tradition. And listen the gospel is not ours to impose upon. God's truth is not ours to place additional regulations on. When we proclaim the gospel, we proclaim what it simply is, the truth of God that Jesus Christ died for sinners. And if they will look to him and repent of their sins, that they will be saved. We cannot impose our traditions onto God's truth, but we also can't take the traditions of man and impose them over the truth of God. You say, what's the difference? here's, Here's the distinction that I'm wanting to make. Oftentimes people will talk about the gospel and works follows, but there are also people that will do it this way, works and then the gospel. They'll say things like, get your life cleaned up and then you can come to Jesus get your life cleaned up, get rid of these things in your life, stop acting this way, stop doing these things, stop, stop, stop you know, being this kind of person, and then you, you can believe the gospel. Listen, that is imposing the traditions of man over the gospel. We simply proclaim the gospel. Legalism will always seek to impose additional restrictions on people for the sake of salvation. Salvation. Notice what I'm not saying. I am not saying that the Bible isn't clear about the way that we're supposed to act and behave and operate in this world. Jesus ends there. And I promise you, I'm going to end the sermon there. But when we're thinking about what it means for someone to come to faith in Jesus, there is no work before or after that is required for that person to believe the gospel and be saved. It is only through the death, burial, and resurrection in Jesus Christ and the belief in it that one finds salvation in Christ. Anything else is another gospel. Paul's letter to the church at Galatia known as Galatians in the New Testament helps us here because in the book of Galatians we see what happens when a New Testament church is overtaken by legalism and we see the apostles' correction of it. Galatians chapter one, the apostle Paul says, I am astounded that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a what? A different gospel. Not that there is another one, but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed as we have said before. So now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one received, let him be accursed. Paul says, even if I show up and Start saying, well, we only had it halfway right. Now you have to do X, Y, and Z to also be a Christian. Paul says, don't listen to me. Let anybody who preaches anything other than salvation by grace through faith and the death of Jesus Christ alone be accursed because it is a false gospel. Legalism is a false gospel. Number two, legalism always leads to hypocrisy. I recognize that I'm making a definitive claim here, but I believe it. It doesn't sometimes lead to hypocrisy. Legalism always leads to hypocrisy. Look at verses six and seven. And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus cites Isaiah 29, 13, confronting the the Pharisees and the scribes with old testament prophecy that is about them and is about those who would impose their legalistic understanding of christianity upon people to be saved because legalism cannot change hearts it always leads to the inability of the person to be able to keep the rules that they're seeking to impose on others this is why jesus calls them hypocrites he calls them hypocrites because they said one thing and did something else. If you don't know the, the meaning of the word hypocrite, there you go. It's someone who says one thing and does something else. It's, it's someone who looks at others and say, you should act this way, but then they go about their lives acting a completely different way. That's what a hypocrite is. That's what the Pharisees in Jesus's day was. And that's what legalists in our day are because it is impossible to have A changed heart by acts of works. And so, as hard as the Pharisees tried, as hard as legalists in our day try, they will always be hypocrites because they cannot achieve the ultimate end. The ultimate end of the gospel is redemption, the ultimate end of the gospel is to be right with God, and works will never do it. And so, because works will never do it, they will always fail. They will always be hypocrites. Number three, legalism always leads away from true obedience. There again is another definitive claim, and I believe it is true. It will always lead away from true obedience. Look at verses 9 through 13. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. Whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say... If a man tells his father and mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. So let's start at the very end just quickly. Jesus doesn't have just one issue with the actions of the Pharisees. He has many. There are many places in which they have, their legalism has led them away from true obedience. But he gives an example, and the example Jesus gives relies on uh, the Ten Commandments. He looks back at the Ten Commandments and says, you're supposed to honor your father and mother, and if you don't, you should die, that it's that serious that we honor our father and mother. And then Jesus brings that commandment into his day, and Mark gives us another parenthetical explanation uh, that I'm going to explain a little further he brings it into his day and addresses what was known as Corbin. When, when Jesus says here that, that um, in verse 11, but you say, if a man tells his father and mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, Jesus is describing a practice of the day where people would dedicate a sum of money to the Lord. They would dedicate it to the temple while they still lived and that it would go to the temple when they died, but they would stay in control of it. Now you already kind of see the the problem with this, right? People are dedicating future money to the temple, but they're gonna keep making money off of those resources, but that's not even the biggest problem, all right? This system, which was encouraged by the scribes who have come from Jerusalem, they're the ones that set the rules on this, allowed people to not only use those resources for, for their own gain, but forbid them from using those resources for things as serious as honor your father and mother. So people would dedicate, right? They would, they would say, I'm gonna give this money to the temple when I die. And when mom and dad need caring for, they would say, sorry, I don't have any money to, to provide for you because I've already dedicated it to the temple. What kind of wicked heart does that? What kind, of, what kind of wicked heart? An unregenerate heart, right? A legalist heart says, oh, no, 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 that money's for God. Mom and dad, you can starve on the street. And it gets worse. Even if a person recognized, let's say just a normal Jewish person recognized that this isn't right, I had dedicated this money to the temple, but mom and dad are starving on the street and I need to provide for them because that's clearly what scripture says that I need to do. And so he goes to the temple and says, I need to break that vow. I need to break Corbin to be able to provide for mom and dad. The scribes would tax them for it. They would tax them. And so, yeah, you can, you can break your vow, but it's gonna cost you this amount of money to be able to do it. What a wicked system. And Jesus looks at them and says, you, you, you think your legalism is leading to godliness, but it's not because it always leads away from true obedience. This is why in Luke chapter 11 Jesus says of the Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the other. It's good to tithe, but don't neglect people. He writes of the lawyers, who by the way is the scribes in Mark 7. Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Legalism draws us towards the rule and away from the purpose of the rule. It draws us to say, look how good I am at keeping the rules without giving any thought to why God has said and established what God has said and established is good. Legalism will always lead us away from true obedience. Second, the true gospel that changes hearts. Fortunately, Jesus doesn't end here. Jesus tells us about the true gospel that can really change people's hearts. Legalism will never do it. Obeying the rules will never do it. Keeping the law will never do it. But faith in Jesus will. First, changing the heart of his people has always been God's redemptive plan. Look with me in verses 14 through 19. And he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, All of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he has entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? And then another parenthetical explanation here, thus... He, being Jesus, declared all foods clean. Now, let me just start by saying that Jesus is not here declaring that all things are somehow clean or even neutral. So I would not encourage you to use this passage, for instance, to argue for the consumption of something like mind-altering drugs, which the Bible would clearly forbid. Jesus is talking about everyday items. He's just talking about food. He's talking about the things that you can go to the market and buy. And Jesus says, these things don't make you, don't defile you. They don't make you unclean because in and of themselves, they're just neutral things that God has created in the world. They're not good or bad. Because, and he kind of gives us a word picture, because they just go right through you, right? You eat them, they go to your stomach, eventually you expel them. How can something that you put in your mouth, goes in your stomach, and you eventually expel, be good or bad? It's just this thing that you eat. And what you eat is not going to make you clean or unclean. Now, I I wanna take this, I want us to help us see how the, the, the redemptive plan of God has always been about changing hearts and has never been about what you eat or don't eat. What laws you keep or don't keep. That the plan of God to redeem a people for himself has always been about the inner person. But before I do that, just as an aside, let me make a quick note about conscience. In Romans 14, 14, the apostle Paul says, and this is in a part of a larger section dealing with the matters of conscience. He says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. So Paul is agreeing with Jesus in in Mark 7. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. Meaning this, if there is something in this world that that we could rightfully declare as neutral, it's something like food that would go in the mouth, go to the stomach and be expelled, then we shouldn't declare it to be unclean and, and impose that on everyone else. But he says, if your matter of conscience, you believe it's unclean, then it's unclean for you. What, is that, what does that mean? It means if you think something shouldn't be consumed, then don't do it. If your conscience tells you don't do it, don't do it. But, and it's fine by the way, matters of conscience and observing matters of conscience is not legalism. Legalism is number one, when we think matters of conscience save us. And number two, when we seek to impose that matter of conscience on someone else. So when you come to me and say, do you think we ought to, as Christians, boycott X company over here because they're doing this thing? My answer to you, every time, by the way, some of you have learned this, every time my answer is gonna be, if that's what your conscience says, then do it. But you can't tell me I have to do that. And I'm never going to stand up here and tell you to do that. Why? Why? Because it's a matter of conscience. And to do otherwise would be imposing some type of legalistic structure on you as a church. And that's not the gospel. That's not what we do. So yeah, if if you think something's not good for you and you're going to abstain from that thing, abstain from it. But don't think your abstention is salvific and don't impose it upon others. Now, let's go back to the main point here. And that is this has always been God's plan to change people's hearts. Even under the Old Testament law, this was God's plan. Let's look at a couple of places in the Old Testament that help us see this. The first is when God is, is leading the prophet to select a new king for the people. And he says this in 1 Samuel 16. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So here we have the Lord saying, I'm not looking at what's on the outside. I'm looking at what's on the inside. That should have been a clue to the keepers of the oral tradition of the day that God is far more concerned with what's going on on the inside than outside. But this is not the only place that helps us see this. The prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 36 helps us. He says, and I will give you, this is the Lord speaking, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. It has always been God's redemptive plan not to impose religious law on people, but to take hearts of stone and insert hearts of flesh that then obey God. Obedience has always followed regeneration and life transformation, not the other way around. God's plan has always been to redeem a people for himself by changing their hearts, not by imposing the law. And so we get into the New Testament, we're back in Galatia and here they are having been led away by the false gospel of legalism and here how Paul encouraged them. He says, we ourselves are Jews, that being Paul, by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because works of the law, no one will be justified. The law, in, in our context, legalism cannot save. Only the gospel can. And Paul, Jew of Jews, he calls himself. There was no one more obedient than to, to the Jewish law than Paul. And he says, even I. Not like you, a Gentile sinner. Even I, a Jew from birth, have believed the gospel because the law can't save me. Listen, folks, if the law couldn't save Paul, then your mixed up, messed up version of Christianity that imposes legalistic law on people has no hope either. It is only the gospel of Jesus that changes hearts, that saves people. Last, our actions are a reflection of our heart. I've alluded to this earlier, but make no mistake. Please don't stop listening to me. (laughs) What we do matters. Our actions matter. Our obedience matters. Our Christ-likeness matters. Our holiness matters. It does matter. And Jesus is going to tell us that it matters. Listen to verses 20 through 23. And we said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thought, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Let me make a couple of points here. First off, in verses 21 and 22, list evil things. All of these things are evil. It to practice sexual immorality. And the, the word there is an encompassing word in the Greek. I talked about this some last week. This is any kind of sexual activity outside of one woman, one man, one woman marriage, okay? That's what Jesus is addressing here. Theft is evil, murder is evil, adultery is evil, coveting is evil, these things are evil. Envying is evil, pride is evil these things are evil. And Jesus is saying to us, and we need to understand that they are evil. And when they come out of someone, they are coming out of a darkened, evil heart. So people are defiled because of the heart that is in them. And defiled people do depraved things. And people with new hearts people who have believed in the gospel of Jesus, people who have been radically transformed by the power of the gospel should no longer do the evil things that we once did, but we should follow Christ in holiness. We should pursue righteousness that is found in a relationship with Jesus. That's the difference. That the works that we're called to that reject evil and put off sin and embrace good and put on righteousness follow the gospel because the gospel changes us. And as the gospel is changing us, we still battle against our evil flesh. As the gospel is changing us, we still battle against an enemy that would seek to tempt us away. As the gospel is changing us and sanctifying us, we still struggle against these earthly desires. And day by day, we put them off and we put on Christ. This is why Solomon writing in the first part of Proverbs says, to keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. The New International Version English translation of the Bible helps us to understand here. It records that verse. as, says, above all else, guard your heart. From everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from your heart. So we guard the new heart that God gave us so that we can reflect his gospel in the world. So what? Has my heart been changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus. Have you been banking on your works? Have you been banking on legalism? Have you been banking on keeping the rules? Or has God taken your heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh? Back in Galatians chapter 2. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Listen to what Paul's describing here. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If legalism is a form of the gospel, then the death of Jesus is useless. If legalism is a form of the gospel, then the death of Jesus is useless. That's the argument Paul makes. If works could save us, why would the son of God come to earth and die in our place? He wouldn't need to. We would just need more instructions about how to keep the law better. But we couldn't keep the law It was impossible for us to keep the law. The law was a tutor for us, the scripture says. It shows us how we are completely unable to do it on our own. But the gospel of Jesus transforms our hearts. His death is not useless. He didn't die for nothing. He died for you so that you could live so that you could have life abundantly. He died so that you could live for him as you die to yourself. This is the call of the gospel. And so the cry of the Christian then joins with the psalmist in Psalm 51 that says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This must constantly be our prayer. That as we go from day to day, sometimes from moment to moment, seeking the righteousness of God in our lives, we say, O God, but for the pure heart that you create in me, I am but wicked and depraved. I am these things that Jesus lists and in many cases worse. But the gospel saves. The gospel transforms. And I have a pure heart created in me from God. What joy we find, Christian. What joy we find in obedience to Christ because of the pure heart that he has given to us. And what joy you can find Unbeliever, if you will heed the call of the Holy Spirit today and believe in Jesus Christ, you too can find immense joy in this—that you can't save yourself, but that Jesus died so that you might be saved. And as we respond to the day at the Lord's table, let me give us a warning from First Corinthians eleven. Paul says, "So then." Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Whoever, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. We practice a fairly open version of communion here, meaning our table is open. You don't have to be a member of our church all who have publicly professed faith in Jesus Christ are welcome at this table. But those are the but. Let me fence for a moment. Those who are welcome at the table are those who have publicly professed faith in Christ alone, not in your version of the gospel that demands works, not in your understanding of the gospel that has imposed some type of legalistic structure on what people must do to then come to Jesus. All are welcome at the table. If you have publicly declared that in Jesus and Jesus alone, you have found forgiveness of your sin. And it is that that I encourage you to heed the words of the Apostle Paul from 1 Corinthians and examine yourself this morning. Examine yourself. Examine your heart. Ask the question, God, have you placed a new heart in me? If there is sin that is unconfessed in your life, confess it to the Lord in a moment as we pray. If you have believed in some type of false alternate gospel that demands works, repent and trust in Jesus now as we respond together. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you (laughs) that we're not left to do this on our own. The Christian life isn't found in keeping a bunch of rules because we would fail. I would fail you every day of my life. But the Christian life is found in the regenerating work of almighty God through the death and burial and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And faith in that alone. Thank you for your gospel that saves. Would you transform hearts and lives now, we pray. God, would we examine our hearts as we come to your table. If there is sin that you reveal to us, will we confess it so that we can come with pure hearts. If there are those who have been clinging to a false gospel, God, would they repent of it and turn towards you in faith now, we pray. Thank you for the broken body and spilled blood of Jesus that reminds us of the gospel and how we can proclaim the gospel to one another as we come to your table, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.